welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolf. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about. In their song of the same title, the group Johnny Swim offers this invitation. If it matters, let it matter. So that's what we're going to do. I invite you to join me for the next 30 to 45 minutes as we make space for, honor, celebrate, or lament, and as we name, what matters. Okay, welcome. Oh, I'm so thankful that you are here, that you're joining me for this episode. Um, Gosh, I love this episode. Today on the Let It Matter podcast, I am joined once again by my friend and yours, Debbie Abraham, for a conversation style um, episode rather than interview style, where we we just discuss the Uh, at least in our world's mostly evangelical myth, um, that we as people and in particular as women are untrustworthy in our decision-making instincts, intuition, wisdom, etc. We just discuss through that. We debunk it, hopefully. Um, And it's just, I found it to be such an encouraging conversation. Um, And and I want to point out that I have done um, an episode about learning to trust our very good selves. Um, and I, in a conversation with Andy Colbert not too long ago. Um, but that episode was, um, and, I th- and I think it really marries to this episode really well. Um, but in it, we talked mostly about the cues our bodies give us, um, our emotions, our feelings, our senses, um, the, you know, cues for safety or for hunger or for, um, uh, triggers or whatever. And so, um, this episode sort of builds on that idea though. You don't have to have listened to one to have, to hear the other. Um, it builds on that idea, but this one is more in, um, our, our ability to just make decisions, to, to decide who to date, who to marry, when to marry, um, when to move, if you should take the job, just sort of big decisions um, and small that come along um, that we have been told, you know, the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can trust it? Or, you know, Eve, um, Eve, was, Eve sinned first and then tempted Adam. And so, um, you know, we sort of, we talk about those two scriptures. We talk about, uh, you know, sharing our own various stories. So I just would love to invite you into this conversation. I want to hear from you on, um, on social media, on email, however you want to respond. I'd love to hear from you as you share, um, how this, this narrative, this false narrative has impacted you as well. Let me introduce Debbie to you. For those who don't know, Debbie Abraham is a writer, thinker, and co-host of the Where Do We Go From Here podcast, which invites listeners to untangle sex, self, and community for a new generation of Christians and to leave behind purity culture and save what matters. Her writing has been featured in Religion News Service, Sojourners, and ABC Every Day, and she also teaches writing workshops in Melbourne. Debbie has a bachelor's degree in journalism and history, loves reading, cooking, and gardening, 
You can find her in the evenings watching clips of Stephen Colbert on YouTube and eating dark chocolate. She and her husband live in Melbourne, Australia with their three sons and two new pet rabbits. I know you will love this conversation. Let's get into it. Okay, you guys, we are back with the one, the only, <laughs> Debbie Abraham. I oh, got so to tell you. to talk to you again. I'm I know. so excited. Yeah. <laughs> Logging on today, I just felt like, oh, this feels like home. This is like my first podcast language is what it feels like. <laughs> just signing on to talk to you and, um, and to get to just talk about what we're talking about today. I'm excited. So... Same. So I am too. Mm. Yeah. So I want to set up sort of where we're going. And this episode's going to be a little bit different in the sense that it's not interview style. It's more just us. I want to just dialogue. Yeah. About this. And I couldn't think of a better dialogue partner than you about this topic. And then in, just in general, um, in the, in, um, for those who don't know, the Let It Matter podcast has a Patreon community and, and we do a once a month monthly matterings, which is a sort of partners only Zoom call with me and then the, those who are partners. Um, and in, in last month's, one of our partners was talking about, you know, she was asking one of the other partners who uh, was a recent guest on the podcast, she was uh, on the Exploring Quaker Spirituality episode, and she had mentioned in that episode that her husband is an atheist. And um, and so this, this other partner, you know, was asking her, like, how did that go over with your family? And how did you decide that that was something you were wanting to explore, you know, dating outside of, um, outside of your faith tradition? And so she was just asking, you know, how did you do that? And, and as we sort of talked about it longer, it just became sort of clear that she and, and, and many of us in the group that were talking about it grew up with, or were sort of formed in evangelical spaces with this idea that, um, any sort, you know, who we date, who we marry, when we get engaged, big life decisions, that all of these things needed to be sort of signed off on in community or that they needed to be run past our spiritual authority or mentors um, because our own decision-making could not be trusted um, for various reasons. And that is something, you know, you and I talked about it, you know, briefly in, in various episodes when we were recording for, yes, where do we go from here? Um, I have, I, in a couple of episodes and even Andy Colbert was on not too long ago. And the title of that episode was, uh, has something about trusting our very good selves, but it was more about our bodies and the cues that our body sends us and safety and, um, anxiety and triggers and stuff like that. And so in this conversation, I really wanted to just talk about this sort of culture, subculture that, that we see in, um, I don't know that it's specific to evangelicalism or to, you know, Western evangelicalism. I don't know really where the, where to drill down on it, but, um, but it seemed a really common thing. And then I posted, you know, some things on, on Instagram, getting some feedback from other listeners. Hey, was this common to your experience? What were some messages that you received? And it was pretty overwhelming, the response. Oh, interesting. Um, 
And so we'll, I'll talk about some of that as we go along, but I'm curious what your, what your formative sort of what those messages were for you. Um, if yeah. that was, if that was, yeah. You heard. So, so that's, that's very interesting to me because you and I have some, some sort of similarities in, in mm. the influences in our lives, but that's a pretty dramatic differences as well. Cause I think you were from a much more conservative um, theologically conservative uh, church, and whereas for me the 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 faith that really formed me was sort of the charismatic church here in Australia when I was older in my twenties, mm-hmm. um, which was very different. So it was like it was normal to have women preaching. It was normal. A lot of things were normal there, mm-hmm. and yet on this topic there are a lot of similarities um, mm-hmm. that we share. I would say. So I think it's interesting to me when I look at. For myself, like when I was in university in the U.S., so local, I was part of a small local congregation. It was a Bible church, very what I would call normal church. (laughs) And it's interesting how in normal church, some of this stuff doesn't happen. There isn't this sort of hyper spirituality about let's get everything right. Mm. Yeah. And, And I did not appreciate that normal see that normal spirituality. Because for me, when I looked at my life, I remember just feeling like there's something broken about you. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think for me, that was related. Honestly, I think I had layers of sort of shame in my life that I didn't Mm. understand where that was coming from. And again, like when you're a good girl who literally has never done anything wrong, like you... Sorry, I'm sure I did things that were wrong. <laughs> I was but, about to say, bold <laughs> if true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bold if that's right. No, I'm sure, like, definitely I was, but I mean, in the, in the Christian I know sense, mean. in the yeah. evangelical sense, I yeah. followed every rule that needed to be followed. Um, but I still had this feeling of like, I was doing something wrong. And so I was like, I am joining a church that has a really, like, that is serious about discipleship, right? And mm. so for me, I was looking for those layers of authority because mm. for me, because I'm coming out like, and I think now I look back and I go, you're Asian, you understand authority at a cellular level because that's how, you know, your family culture was, mm-hmm. all of that. But I think where I was coming from a place of considerable freedom, actually, mm-hmm. good freedom, normal, you're 21, 22, 23, adult, young adult freedom, Um, nothing unhealthy about it in Mm -hmm. either direction. I was like, I need to be controlled. Actually, that was, now I look back, now I look back and I go, that's actually what I was looking for. I was looking for someone to tell me what to do because that felt safe. Mm. That's so interesting. And you mentioned the similarities and differences and, and you're right. I did grow up in a very, very conservative sort of high control scenario. However, accountability was not a part of, or, you know, regular confession, um, public confession, talking about our sin was never part of that equation because grace wasn't a part of the equation. Frankly, you could lose your salvation at the drop of a hat and your belonging was so deeply secured by the appearance of your righteousness that, that like when someone would go forward and confess to, uh, you know, we had a guy who was literally a predator, a sexual predator who went forward and confessed his uh, smoking and cussing, oh dear. but left the other stuff 
<laughs> out. And, um, and, and all of us were like, wow, he got really personal. I can't believe he mentioned that he smoked. Um, And so it was, um, so in that environment, there wasn't this sort of, I mean, your parents were, that was it. Um, And your parents had a a ton of control, your dad primarily. Uh, And then the elders had ultimate authority within the church. But unless your family was on fire, you didn't go to the elders. And we didn't have small groups and accountability partners in that way. And so unless you were in deep trouble, which I found myself to be quite a bit, my youth minister <laughs> knew quite a bit about me. <laughs> um, but it wasn't like that. So when I started receiving this messaging was when I was at the village, when I was at yep. uh, my SBC mega church um, and small groups became, you know, it was such a yes. big church that in order to maintain any kind of level of are you following the covenant? Are you qualified for serving in any capacity? There has to be sort of little captains, the group captains that, you know, there has to be this sort of layered structure <laughs> of authority. The group That's not what their names were, but I'm just thinking about like from an army standpoint, you know, like there had, there was home group leaders it. and then there was home group coaches. And then there were the groups ministers. And then there was, you know, the campus pastors. And then there was a the campus elders. It just sort of all flowed up. And it was because, you know, the information you shared in a home group setting could be used against you when you were trying to serve in another capacity because that information just sort of flowed up. Um, oh my gosh, this is so interesting to me. So there's a yeah. sense to which like you go, like somebody would go, this is, I imagine in my mind, this is what's happening. Somebody goes, I would really like to be on the prayer team. Okay, we'll pray about you being on the prayer team or we'll pray about you being on the worship team. And then at some point, somebody comes around to you. And if you're a woman, it's going to be another woman. And she's kind of adjacent to power, but not actually. And it's like, well, we prayed about it and the elders decided that this isn't the best place for you um, to use. Almost the nail on the head. Almost the nail on the head, except that in the application process to serve, let's say the worship team, that's a great example, because you are front and center. And even though maybe you're playing the piano, um, you are on, you know, people are seeing you. Um, So they, in the application, application to serve, there's a section, who's your home group leader? Right. And who are you in community with? What does, what do, what is your accountability in your community process? You know, what does that look like in your life? And if you're not in a home group, just know. (laughs) Um, And if you are in a home group, uh, you know, most of the time, that may be a generalization, but most of the time, you know, if you weren't in a home group, that's the first sign of that you, you are, you've bought in here. Um, And so, uh, and so then they go to your home group leader and say, what do you think about this person? And if the, if the answer is no, sometimes it comes back where there's this like, you know, vague, we've prayed about it and we don't think this is right. Sometimes yeah. it's, we're going to have a meeting with you and your home group leader. And we'll tell you exactly why we don't think this is right. You confessed wow. uh, a porn addiction in your last, uh, home group setting, or you, you know, you mentioned that you are struggling with pfft, depression depression. Wow. That happened to me multiple times that my depression and my grief, I was just a a couple of years out from losing my sister. Um, and, and had just started processing my own sexual assault and stuff. And so my grief or my depression or my anxiety was so often used as 
uh, you know, no, not until you, maybe you should go back to steps. Maybe you should go back to recovery. Wow. Yeah. So, so you came to your home group leader going, I'm depressed. I need help. Or maybe did you think there was something just wrong prayer. with depression? Yeah. Okay. No, just, hey, how can we pray for you this week? And thinking wow. we're building community here. So we're being vulnerable. We're going deep. Um, and wow. And you're just, you know, you're asking for prayer and everybody's doing it and that's great. And then, you know. Uh, it's used against you. Yeah. Gosh, but all that, that is, to say, that, then yeah. your own, you know, then your own sort of ability to discern a vocational calling or make big decisions about, you know, I'm going to move into this house with these other three, four women who are also members of the church. How do you, you know, okay, elders, what do you think about that? You Um, talk to the elders about who to move into a house with? uh, The elders were very involved in one of the houses I lived in because on the front end and on the back end, but yes. Um, wow. Sometimes it has to do with who's in the home. That's I don't think that's sure, the case sure. for everybody. But sure, um, and who owns the home? Um, who which owns I the think, home? Who's yeah. who's? Yeah. Um, you know, I, one of my roommates um, was more well known in the church, and sh- her and she had set her you know life up in a way that was very accountable to elders, sure. and she was very sort of ingratiated there. Um, but anyway, so all that to say. Um, then, then there's this just repeated messaging, not just from the stage and from the, you know, classes and stuff of the heart is deceitful when, you know, women, it was the Eve who was deceived first and blah, blah, blah. It was then also, you know, just, well, look at your, you know, look at the things you're struggling with. Yeah. So I share that because, uh, you just noted that like, you know, that that might've been a difference. And in fact, it was, I wouldn't have called my first church experience evangelicalism. That was, evangelicalism yes. was the world yes. <laughs> for us. Okay, so. right, right. Okay. I, yeah. yeah, I'm so interested in this because um, I think, yeah, I think for me, the more I reflect, even listening to you, um, when I reflect on even the church experience where I went to it wanting to be controlled, I actually mm-hmm. think our pastors there were pretty healthy and okay. And that's partly because they were older. Um, Mm. They had adult children. Mm. And I think they had that maturity that comes with age. But I no doubt walked into it going, I am not safe unless somebody, unless I have a layer of authority figures. Mm. And that was the important thing. It wasn't like friends. Um, Mm. They needed to be authority figures. And that was that protection of authority, spiritual authority. That was, I needed their sign off on my life. And I fully believe that. And I think in my case, I was not told that I needed it. Um, so I don't doubt that I think for the majority of people, pe- people in authority were telling you, you needed that authority mm-hmm. sign off. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, um, it was just that feeling of like, I need to have people. I was very insecure in decisions I made on my own. I did not think it was going to be okay for me. So, and you've used the word safe twice. Do you mean safe from yourself or like yeah, from probably. the enemy or from temptation? Like what, what kind all of, what of are you using? Above. All of okay. the above. I think in the sense of like when I read KJ's work, KJ Ramsey and Andy's, mm-hmm. you know, work, it mm-hmm. was for me, it was actually that deep sense of psychological safety came from mm-hmm. authority structure. 
And I think mm. that goes that that's because I was conditioned through my upbringing, through my childhood to accept that. Mm. Right. And so I think in the moving forward piece for me, it was learning that something else, relearning what safety feels like in terms mm. of decision making, like, and learning that there were cues coming out of me going, make this decision that I was ignoring. Say more about that. That's really, that's really interesting. And I, and I fully agree with you, but I'm, I'm curious what cues, um, like if you reflect back, um, what, what cues would you say, um, maybe you noticed after the fact, or maybe you noticed them at the time, but, um, that would indicate to you, um, yeah, this feels right, or I have peace about this, or I don't have peace, or there's, there's something feels off. I, that's a great question, Kelly. Um, it's been a process, first of all. And I think I would say more than anything else, it has been making the wrong decision, knowing that I should have made a different decision mm. that has taught me, listen, because I've gone. And I think for me, it was often like super trivial things like, mm. um, you know, we're about to spend a substantial amount of money on, I don't know, like a piece of furniture or something like that. And yeah. there's something in me that's going, this is not the right piece of furniture. But I am just like, yeah, sure, let's do it. I like it, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And and then over time going, I really don't like it. I want to replace it. And then my husband and I having the conversation of like, why did you buy it? Why did you, <laughs> why did you not say something? Yeah. And just kind of going, why didn't I say something? Mm. And so that for me, that instinct of kind of silencing, the work of silencing that instinct mm-hmm. over time has proven to me that does not work. And um, so how have you unlearned that silencing? Yeah, I think just learning to listen to the thing. Because mm-hmm. I think for me, the voice is pretty strong. It's there. Yeah. Um, the the instinct of going, I call it to my kids, I call it my knower. Um, because my one kid, yeah, my 10-year-old, um, I, I'm past the point of my kids being like, like in awe of mom. Like they, you know, they're not like that anymore. They're not impressed yeah. by anything I do. I'm the epitome of uncool. But sure. this one thing, the way I just know stuff mm-hmm. to my 10 year old, he's just like, how did you know that I did that? How he is like, how he literally, he, it is like a mystery to him. And I'm always like, I have a mommy knower. I have a mommy knower. There's something in me that just knows this. And I always yeah. tell him, like, you've got a knower. Like you have a Daniel knower inside of you mm-hmm. and it's yours. Like, and I think, mm. and I think there there is that um I think I am an intuitive person. So again, I think personality mm-hmm. has a lot to do with this, right? Yeah. There are personalities that are less intuitive and more sensory, more this, more that. And, and so this sort of understanding of how things work, it's coming to you in a very different way. Mm-hmm. But I was always an intuitive person, always. Same. Highly, highly intuitive. And the kind of person who's sitting around going, I think that person is thinking that. And then within a couple of minutes, yes. that person says that. You know, like that's kind Same. of how yeah. I am. Yeah. And um, And I think when you are a highly intuitive person, the the process is about learning to trust that intuition. But mm. I, I do find um, that there is a need for extreme humility 
extreme humility, extreme humility. <laughs> um, in terms of you need to also be able to course correct when uh-huh. you do something and it's the wrong decision. And that's where this discernment process yeah. comes in, right? And that's where this sense of like you do something that you feel like a hundred percent, like I did the right thing according to me. And somebody yeah. comes along and goes, you did that and it really hurt me. And it was a decision that impacted me this way. And you have to be able to say, okay, like take that on board. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not in the, it's not anymore. Um, you know, you have your board of spiritual authority who is signing off on your life. It's not that. But it is a sense of like, not everything that we do is going to be right or best. And being able to say, I got it wrong is an important part, I think, of developing that muscle of decision making. I agree. And I think also knowing that going in, that like... That that doesn't mean though that you or your instincts or your intuition or those cues are untrustworthy. It yeah. just means you didn't know that yet, um, or you lacked context or nuance or information or perspective. Um, and so, part of I think you know when we do make a mistake, let's say we are you know trying to learn how to decide who to date, you know, in the context of this conversation we had with, uh, in the, in the monthly matterings, you know, you're trying to decide who to date or is this person, um, the type of person. So am I going to date outside my faith context? Um, that's not about a person that's about, a a, you know, just sort of an, a a personal value. Um, and, and I think part of making that decision is saying, and if I get it wrong, you know, of course, correct. Um, and adding yeah. that to your experience and to your wisdom, in fact, makes you more trustworthy. The older you get, the longer you live, the more times you've gotten it wrong and gotten it right under your belt. Like you said, the times that you didn't listen to that cue, but then later on the situation bore itself out that in fact proved that the cue was right. Yep. Right. And so that, that, that internal knowing was correct, even if you didn't act on it in the moment, or you just sort of went along to get along that sort of thing. Um, that's still bearing fruit that the, that the internal knowing was on to something, even if let's, I don't even want to necessarily use the, the binary of right and wrong. Cause there's so yep. much more outside of, sure. you know, wise or best or better, or, sure. you know, um, beneficial, but maybe, not the right course for you or whatever. But, um, I, I just am so, um, my thesis of this episode, and I want to just, I want to scream this from the rooftops is that we are as, as Christians, uh, we have the Holy spirit. We have the mind of Christ. We have, we have been gifted with community. And this is the other thing I want to say is this is not to say that no decisions should ever be made with anybody else being looped in. Yep. Um, but that your wisdom and gaining wisdom, part of that is knowing when you're out of your element, when you need yes. to start looping other people in. <laughs> yes. That's so good. Yeah. 
That's so good. I mean, I think when when you think about it, like you wouldn't buy a house without having a proper lawyer look at the contract and sign off on it. That's just kind of the way it goes, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't you wouldn't do that. Same thing with you wouldn't you can't start a certain kind of medication without a doctor prescribing it to you. Mm-hmm. So there are these built in kind of guardrails in our society that we accept as this person has some expertise that I don't have. So I think there's value to being able to say when you're dating, when you're getting ready to get engaged or get married, uh, when you want to change jobs. I think there's value to having some of those guardrails in place. Mm -hmm. But I think the difference is that when I look back on my life, like that stage of my life in my early 20s, what I see was someone who, they were not guardrails. They were... (laughs) Like you're still walking when they're guard. They were boxes. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know. Yeah. Were they a wheelchair? Were they like, Mm. is it, do you know what I mean? Like it's someone who's doing the work for you. (laughs) It was then that I carried you. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) (laughs) I'll let myself out now. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And so that's, that's the difference is that like, you can walk. I think that's what I would say to somebody is you can walk, you can walk. And when you need it, reach out to that guardrail, reach out to that guardrail and let it support you. Um, But yeah, like you, you are not. Yeah. I, I also, I mean, I'm a firm believer in you and I've talked about this a million times. um, Therapy. Um, yeah. having, having spiritual mentors, spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers in your life yeah. that, um, that you do, you have built up the trust with them and you have said to them, um, you know, a spiritual director, I have a spiritual director that, you know, once every couple of months, I'm like, Jenny, I just need to check in with you, talk to you about how the, my thought process is in the, in terms of this idea or this part of my relationship with God or the church or whatever. Um, but the thing is, again, um, it's that in I in my wisdom, in my experience of when I have made the wrong decisions in the past, now I know I want to build up this sort of cloud of witnesses around me yeah. um, to know who to tap into and when, rather than being told by my church, yes. these are the people you'll go to. Regardless, you know, and so whether you know them, whether you have a relationship with them, whether they are in your life day to day and know you well or not, these are the people you go to. That's different than saying, you know, I've found a therapist that I have built trust with over time, who I have given permission to call me on my BS Uh, or my husband that I have said to him, anytime you need to pull this card, you pull it or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, there's a huge difference between, so what I'm hearing you say is that I think where we were is there was a layer of spiritual authority who felt like they had the right to comment on our lives. Um, Whereas now you're choosing who those people are and they're, they're, they have a sense of intimacy with you. They know you. That's it. Right? They know you and you trust them. You trust their experience. You trust whatever, for whatever reason that you trust them, that trust has Mm -hmm. been built to a certain degree and it is ongoing, right? You're continuing to build that trust as it goes on. Um, And that is, those are two very different things. They are. And I have the agency and autonomy that if at any point that relationship starts to prove itself, uh, dangerous or unsafe sure. to say, 
I'm, I'm ending this. Um, I'm, you know, I'm walking away from it without, without that also being, you know, finding myself in church discipline for goodness sakes or something like that. Um, but you know, I, I'm, here's the other aspect of this that I want to talk about. And this may, I think this will probably resonate more with maybe more charismatic people. I know Quakers, um, is words from the Lord. Yep. Yep. I was just a, yeah. Oh, were you about to say that? Yeah. Well, a little bit. Because I think for me, the other huge transition was like, because when I learned about this idea that God could speak to you about everything, I literally mm. stood in front of my closet and was like, what should I wear today? Like, that's how deeply <laughs> so I took earnest. <laughs> it's so earnest, my friend. My goodness. And like oh. everything from I have free time, God, how should I spend it? Mm-hmm. I have a free, you know, like, Yeah. And I remember going so, I, it got to a place for me where I often felt paralyzed because that one is different, right? That one is like, what if God's not saying anything? And then what do I do? Because now mm-hmm. I don't know how to make decisions on my own, right? Mm-hmm. So that one for me was paralysis inducing at times. Mm. Um, and I think shifting away from that, that one you feel like you're very much doing the wrong thing, Right. Um, at least for me, that was the one that I felt like, wow, now I'm not walking with God or now I'm not Mm. intimate with God or that intimacy piece, right? Until I learned that, hang on a minute, God is in me, forming me, transforming me. Mm. Everything you said there before about what you want Mm -hmm. people to hear, the Holy Spirit lives in me. At what point do I just get to make decisions and go like, you're in me? These are trustworthy decisions. Yeah. And and I think that when I kind of deeply believed that, and mm-hmm. this was just a few years ago, it changed my life. Like it really did. Mm. And it meant I started doing things more because I wanted to do them, because I enjoyed them, because I wasn't accepting anymore this idea that maybe God was telling me to do something else. I, I realized that like when God tells me, when there is a, a an impulse to do something, or when something happens, that those mm-hmm. things become more evident. They're like, mm-hmm. it's like God's trying to get my attention. Mm-hmm. But like 90%, 95% of the time, I'm living from this place where I can trust God's work in my life. And so when I yeah. look at this outfit that I'm putting on or the sweats that I'm putting on, it doesn't like God is literally like, I don't care. Like, can you please just get dressed? (laughs) Is that everything doesn't have the stakes of life and death. Yes. You know, it's that, that how do I spend this hour? Well, you've already, God has, God as creator has already designed you with desires and things that bring you joy and food that you like and, and placed you in a, in a, you know, you're in a home. You, not me, you are a wife and a mother and, and you have, you own a home and you are a podcaster. Like there's, there's sort of some, I'm not gonna say boundary lines, property lines. Structure. a structure to your life that within yeah. those things, or if you want to try something brand new that like that you've already been designed with these things and have the Holy spirit within you. And also if you want to just binge an hour of TV. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absol- <laughs> um, absolutely. The thing that, I, the thing that's difficult for me on this is not so much me hearing from the Lord. It's when you're told or when you're, 
you're, uh, and this happened a lot in the, in the environment I was in previously where someone else gets a word from the Lord for you. Yeah. And how much, you know, I'm, I'm saying this with air quotes. I'm saying this with, um, just a, a understanding of how harmful sometimes this has been to people. And so if this language is triggering for you, pause, go slow, mm. turn this off if you need to, I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but someone, you know, how much weight do we give those in, in the authority positions that, you know, have been put over us? Um, or how much weight did we give them? Because someone else said that they got a word from the Lord and their interpretation of it was to come and then tell you, this is what you should do with this hour. This is what you should be doing with your life. This is, um, what I see in you and not always, um, I would say, you know, I've, I've experienced where someone says this is a word from the Lord and what it was, was exclusionary and harmful and entirely unbiblical, just, uh, and wild, absolutely wild. And it yep. was so har- harmful. Um, but what they hid behind was the guise of, we prayed about it. And this is what we feel like is the answer from God. And these were yeah. people who were in spiritual authority over me. Yeah. And that is, I mean, for anybody who's in that situation, that is very complicated, like yeah. super complicated. Yeah. Because how do you, you know, because I also prayed about it. <laughs> yeah. I also have the Holy Spirit in me. I also have the mind of Christ. Um, and so, and so are, am I to say, because you're older, you're not me. And I feel like if God, you know, I, I do believe in the charismatic gifts. I believe that, that the Holy Spirit is still at work in the church. I don't think it, it shows up in some of the ways that, um, we've seen the abuses of it, of course, but I do believe it still happens. And so, and so how, you know, discerning those things, let's say we've walked away from that environment, but like in my case, I still believe it's possible. I still believe it can happen in the Episcopal church, even though the Episcopal church doesn't um, you know, doesn't, uh, make a ton of space for those things. It's not as common to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, prophetic words and stuff, but it, it does happen. And so how, how do we regulate a, around that? Yeah. I have a story. I have a story about this um, because somebody I love like very close, very intimate relationship on both parts. Mm-hmm. And this is a dating related story actually. <coughs> So she was in a relationship with someone and I kind of had a little bit of a, not a great feeling, but couldn't necessarily, um, couldn't necessarily explain why or whatever. But -hmm. there was one night, actually with the same person, I have two stories um, now that I think, now that I think about it. Um, But one night with the second relationship, I had a dream and it was a, it was a scary, Mm. terrible dream. And Mm -hmm. so I shared it with her. I was like, listen, I had this dream didn't feel good. I feel like it's kind of saying something, you know, about the, the relationship, whatever. But it was within the context of a relationship that was loving no matter what her and I, no matter what, whomever you date, whatever you do, whatever, it does not matter to me. Nothing in our relationship changed. So she took that on board. I followed it up with her maybe like a week or two later to be like, hey, did you think about this? What did you, you know? And she was like, I don't Mm -hmm. think it's something to be concerned about. That relationship ended up being like a horrendous situation. He ended up being Mm. a terrible person. And for her, she was able to look back and go, okay, that was a sign. 
that mm-hmm. I was supposed to get get out of it. And it helped, mm-hmm. I think, in the long run and helped her kind of confirm, um, right? And and I yeah. think like in the context of intimate relationships where you nothing changes in the love mm-hmm. that is shared regardless of how a person goes on their decision, yeah. right? Um, in that context, I think there can be openness and people mm-hmm. going, um, hey, I feel like this, like I had this dream and it felt like a warning or mm-hmm. I was for you and this verse came to my whatever. But for me, it's sparingly used. I mean, mm-hmm. really, like I literally, I can't remember. I mean, when I was in the charismatic church, you know, I had a word for person every single day. Um, but uh, so that I, I feel like I'm in a very different place now because I want to be more careful. Yeah. And so when I go about, if I want to encourage someone, I'm not kind of thus saying the Lord this, right? I'm yeah. just kind of going, hey, I see this in you and I think it's incredible. Uh, yeah. And and I think that is more helpful or beneficial. Yeah. But, um, yeah. But like you said, it's also within a specific context because you're not going to uh, someone who maybe you've interacted with them three times on Twitter. And they, you saw that they, they tweeted, uh, Hey, I, uh, I'm going to be dating this person now. And you, you know, happen to have a dream about it because it was in your subconscious or maybe it was from the Lord. Um, but to me, I think God is intentional about those things. I'm not saying words can never come from strangers. In fact, the very first time I received a prophetic word from someone, it was a woman I didn't know, but it was a very specific moment in time and she had three extremely specific words of knowledge that she couldn't have possibly known and they they immediately ministered to me and built me up um and I was in an environment where there weren't other Christians who would be doing that right then you know what I mean so it felt it felt like a specific situation but I think the sparingly thing is important um and I think I think the like if I'm I guess my, my ultimate thing is, and then you said to her, but no matter what, right, I support you and I love you. And it wasn't this thing where that, that then became the rubric by how you were judged in in decision-making on that or how she was judged in decision-making on that. Whereas that can be the case in a lot of spiritual environments and churches, um, you know, sure. Because these people are prayed about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. and these are the people who are responsible for whether or not you get to do this in church. You get to follow your calling. You get the job. You get the, you know, like that's a problem. It is. And then even though, I mean, there's times where it's like that kind of stuff isn't even at stake. And there's just egos. Sure. Or there's mm-hmm. a desire to be right. Yeah. That you've heard from the Lord correctly. There's yeah. a desire to um, to be leading, you know, like a an an agenda to move into a leadership space. And so you prove yourself by getting your words right. Yeah. Um, and, and this is, this is the thing, Kelly, that I would say that kind of ego, that's not God. Right. And so I remember again, this situation with this person whom I dearly, mm-hmm. dearly love. And I'm still in that relationship with, we're even closer now. Sure. Um, and it, you hate being wrong about that kind of thing. You hate it. Like I didn't feel good 
that right. God had given me that dream. And like, you hate it because you don't want that to happen to this person. Absolutely. Right? Like, that's not how you feel. And so yeah. you, you don't, you don't get this sense of like, there's nothing in you that is like, oh, great. I hear from God about mm-hmm. this, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it would, and there's it, a ton I, of seatbelts around it because it's, because you're in relationship and you love yeah. them. Yeah. That's really good. The last thing I sort of just want to touch on before we go is just like, can we talk about Jeremiah 17? Mm, we can't. Jeremiah 17, 9. Well, it's the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This was the most consistent refrain in the responses I got on social media when I was asking the question, basically, what type of messaging did you receive about your own trustworthiness and ability to make decisions for your life, who you date, who you marry, when you marry, should you move, should you take this job, whatever. Um, what kind of messaging did you receive? And the uh, from charismatics, from Quakers, from, uh, from uh, you know, ex-evangelicals, from people in the mainline. This was one of the most common responses was, well, you know, I heard that the heart is deceitful and, and sick and who can understand it. And that's why I needed to, to have you know, spiritual authorities base, I run everything by them from whom I date, you know, this Duggar documentary that just came out. One of yep. the girls grew up in the IBLP environment, um, where from who I, who I date to what kind of music I listen to, yeah, yeah. to, uh, people in more, you know, more moderate environments, but still, you know, you're on staff at a church and you want to date somebody else on the staff at the church. And it becomes a thing that's like not only part of your job, but then also part of your church family environment where you've got leadership involved in your relationship. Um, because the heart is deceitful and desperately sick and who can understand it? See, it's so interesting because I, like you, have heard that verse always and never within context. So I'm just looking at it right now in Thank Bible you. Gateway. And it's so interesting to me that because right before it, verses seven and eight are some of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read it. Okay. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in God. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out Mm. its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Mm. So that verse, I first, it first hit me when I kind of, when I had first moved to Australia and mm-hmm. we were in it, we were in the middle of like a once in a generation drought, mm. literally. Um, and, and I, but I remember reading that and thinking, this is my inheritance from God. And, mm. you know, this may sound controversial, But there are times for me when there are passages in the Bible that I don't understand and I don't have the ability to go to do the work to try to understand it. Like, for example, why is the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure? Who can understand it? Why is that the verse that comes right after this? Right. I don't I don't understand that. Well, in larger context, this is a prophecy against Judah from Jeremiah in a very specific context this is not just like generally applicable necessarily um sure in every situation 
Right. But I am 100% now that person who just goes, I don't understand why this verse is there. In the context of the whole scripture, which I have read and wrestled Mm -hmm, with, mm -hmm, I don't mm -hmm. think this is resonant. And I'm happy to set it aside. I'm I'm just, I'm that person who can go, I'll set it aside until, um, until I am devoted to doing the work of understanding it until I've been taught something. I will happily listen to a good teaching on this by a balanced biblical preacher, even a conservative Mm -hmm. biblical preacher that's going to put the entire passage in context. Mm -hmm. I'll listen to it. Right. And I'll take it on board. But to me, it is, it does not sit with what the empowering work of the Holy Spirit is going to do in our lives. Which is what the new covenant is about, which is what um, this is moving toward. Like Jeremiah is waiting for that. Like that's what he's waiting for, right? He's not waiting for sacrifices in Jerusalem. Like he's waiting for Jesus. That's exactly right. And and to build an entire, not just theology, but for it to be so ubiquitously used by pastors and preachers. I don't want to assume negative uh, or like malicious intent on every person who's ever quoted this, but it's certainly a power move to make everyone under your leadership question their own decision-making and then say, but, but it, what, what you can do is get under the leadership of the people that we've sort of appointed. Um, and, and again, like I said, at the village, it was like our, the first sign that you're bought into what we're doing here is you're in a home group. Right. Right. And so, and so then you have a home group leader and they have a coach and they have a groups minister and all of this teaching is coming straight down from the top. And I'm not saying it was, it's malicious intent, but, um, it doesn't, but impact is certainly, uh, the power move of that, you know, the impact of that. I loved what you said really quickly about, I'm happy to set it aside because the other verse that, that was so common in the responses and that I got to was first Timothy two, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet for Adam was formed first and then Eve and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. This one is used particularly against women because, uh, you know, to, to discredit our, our decision-making, our leadership, our instincts and intuition. Um, and there is so much scholarly debate over first Timothy in general, and certainly this section of first Timothy two. the next verse is for she will be saved in childbearing. And we know yeah. that that's not the case. Um, and so yep. <laughs> there's just so much. Uh, so that's another instance where I go, rather than form an entire theology based on two verses that are anathema to the rest of Paul's ministry. Right. Yep. I will instead be happy to set it aside and stay open to teaching about it. That's, you know, that's informed and that is um, faithful and that, you know, may, may help form me spiritually. Um, But, but there's something to gain by enforcing these three total verses that we've looked at. Yeah. Well, I think with the Timothy ones, I probably have a slightly, I might have a different approach there just because I think there is some good scholarship on that, on those passages. Um, And it is like, it's easier to exegete um, an epistle 
than it is the book of Jeremiah. Like Jeremiah is very complicated and, and sure. it, it's just a lot, it's a lot harder. So I would say like that there are some solid, there are solid scholars. If you follow Beth Felker Jones, just go follow her Substack. right? Start there. Um, Beth Felker Jones, she's amazing. Nijay Gupta, um, even Mike Bird, I think is great. Like they would be, I'm sure they have exegeted this passage before and they don't, Like, these are all people who believe that women can and should be ordained. They are all people with PhDs in New Testament. Um, they are they are professors in their field. They, they read. They have Greek New Testament Bibles. I mean, I was sitting in church the other day next to, um, uh, you know, a guy in our church who's a professor of New Testament somewhere. Um, and he sits in church with a Greek Bible. And so like somebody's preaching and he's sitting there going, that's actually not what this says because it's like this and like this and like this, you know? So like this stuff is actually, it's accessible to some people. And I, I would say like, you can find a really solid group of Orthodox Christian believers who will exegete Timothy for you and explain what it means. And it's, it's going to bring freedom to your life. Sure, but I'm talking about how you read, like the textual criticism, how that, sure. how second, how First Timothy two got included in the first place. Not just okay. that women can be um, ordained, but you know, it's the same thing with First Corinthians fourteen describes the process of how that got copied down. Um, there's much debate in the scholarly community. Sure. That's sort of that's sure. where I'm what I'm talking about. Um, and it's not to say we can't understand it. It's again to say this is three verses that again yeah. are anathema to what Paul's actual ministry looks like as detailed throughout Acts, throughout Romans, throughout the rest of the epistles. <laughs> um, and so, um, and so what I'm happy to do is say, you know, if that's what you want to believe, fine, but who who benefits from reinforcing that the woman was deceived first and therefore she can't be trusted yeah that, that is so <laughs> that is so important and i think again i think it comes down to this question of like what bearing does this have on the life that i am living mm. so i think um live your life <laughs> Okay. Well, there we have that. <laughs> I um, I hope that that conversation was beneficial to you. I hope it's a starting point, not the ending point for you, um, but that you begin to explore not just that myth, but any other idea um, that when reinforced um, benefits only a certain small sect of people, usually men, um, that um, that allows them to retain power and that if explored in any other interpretation, um, or with any additional wisdom, um, would cause them to lose power. And so, um, I just, I just would love to invite you into that conversation, um, on social media, like I said, through the contact form on letitmatter.com. I'd love to hear from you, um, what your experience with that narrative and any others has been, um, and, uh, my thanks again to Debbie for joining me for that conversation. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Debbie underscore rights. 
Or like I said, on the podcast that she co-hosts, Where Do We Go From Here? Uh, it's a wonderful podcast. And they are on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Where Do We Go Pod. I do want to take just a quick second to remind you that the Let It Matter podcast has launched our Patreon community, and we would love to have you join us there. Uh, for as little as $4 a month, partners get exclusive content like additional episodes, uncut interviews, Bible study, and spiritual formation teachings, and monthly matterings, a private partners-only Zoom call with me and the rest of the partner community, that builds community, like I said, as we dive deeper into recent episode topics. Um, to get instant access to all that, all the partner perks, head over to patreon.com forward slash let it matter or let it matter.com forward slash podcast. And you can follow the link there. Join me next week as we continue to make space for, honor, and name what matters. And now, according to our tradition, as we close out, I offer you this benediction from Shannon K. Evans' book, Feminist Prayers for My Daughter. I have adapted the language to be as broad as possible. Um, and so let's pray. Oh, ever-present Sophia, let us know you as such, for that is your name in the ancient scriptures. You are feminine, indwelling, and active. You are always accessible, but never forceful. You have secrets to reveal and secrets to keep. You are a mystery, a holy, holy mystery. Grant that we may be people of wisdom. May we recognize that wisdom does not come from knowledge memorized or advice taken, but that you, wisdom already dwell in the deepest parts of us. All we need to do is still ourselves and listen. As people of wisdom, may we introduce many others to Sophia who dwells within them as well. In leadership positions, may we resist the lure of power and instead teach others how to encounter Sophia in the wildest caves of their own souls. Grant us wisdom, not for worldly esteem, but for inner peace and righteousness. Amen.